Mike, feel free to sing along. <laughs> So many gods, so little time Every shiny thing catches my eye So many new things they want me to buy That I forget to get down on my knees and sigh Be my strength, I am weak My pride make me meek Your word is the truth that I seek Be my strength, I am weak Be my pride, make me meek I believe, help my unbelief After a short hiatus here, we have the Deacons Roundtable here on WSFI FM 88.5 on your <laughs> FM dial, WSFIRadio.org. I'm here with Deacon Dave Egan from down in Tennessee at St. Thomas the Apostle Parish in Lenore City, Tennessee. Deacon Richard Hudzik, our, our Vicar of Deacons for the Archdiocese of Chicago. We have Mike Alandi from St. Mary of the Annunciation in Mundelein. Mundelein, Freeport Center, Free Something Center. Or Fremont Center. Fremont Center. Fremont Center. And I'm Greg Webster from St. Raphael the Archangel in Old Mill Creek, Illinois. And we have with us today Dr. Jim Papandrea, who is quite well known to our EWTN audiences. He's also known to all the deacons of the Archdiocese of Chicago because we all complained about his grading during deacon formation. <laughs> <laughs> you gave me a good grade. I don't know about you. That's why we complained. You gave you a good grade, Mike. So let's begin with a prayer. Mike, would you start us off? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 We pray to our God of peace. Hear our prayers and teach us to seek love and forgiveness in all our relationships. You are the source of all life. Allow us to share our life with all unselfishly so that there will be peace among those around us and in the world. This we pray through the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 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 So, Jim, welcome. We thank you for coming in here today. We have you in studio. Yeah, thanks. Uh, it's great to be here. You're in the Dave Egan chair. And, uh, <laughs> so, can we start? We can learn a little bit about you. Uh, we have the Wikipedia page in front of us here, but uh, how do we go from a degree in music and uh, theater arts to a professor of church history at, at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary at Northwestern in Evanston, Illinois. Yeah, well, that is that's a good question. My uh, my journey's been a crooked path, and uh, I can only chalk it up to um, uh, God's guidance, either uh, following it or or trying to get away from it at different <laughs> times. You know, 
Um, but uh, as, as many of you know, I'm uh, a revert to the Catholic faith. I was baptized uh, in the church, um, but then raised in a Protestant denomination and uh, found a different Protestant denomination uh, as a young adult. And... Um, uh, ended up going to seminary and eventually got actually ordained um, in the uh, in, in one of the Protestant denominations. Spent some time in full-time ministry there and uh, really discerned that my calling was not to um, to local church parish ministry. Um, even quite apart from the fact that I would eventually come back to the Catholic Church. Uh, regardless, my calling is not to uh, leadership in the parish. My calling is to the classroom. And so I um, went back to school, got my Ph.D., and studied the Church Fathers. And you know what happens when people study the Church Fathers. Uh, often they end up coming back to the Catholic Church. And so, um, you know, that, that is a, a part of my journey. Um, but then when I had my Ph.D. and I was looking for teaching jobs, the teaching job I got was back at the uh, seminary where I got my PhD. Um, it's on the campus of Northwestern, and so uh, it's called Garrett Evangelical. It's the Methodist or United Methodist Seminary for uh, this part of the world. But we have a pretty ecumenical student body, um, and I am the Catholic on the faculty at the Methodist Seminary teaching church history. Um, I specialize in the early church and some, some but what in the uh, Middle Ages. And so as I tell people, I, uh, I teach everything from Jesus to Aquinas. That's what I do. So how do you go from... Uh, Is there anything else? <laughs> <laughs> That's enough. When you, uh, you you learn church history at a non-Catholic That's uh, right. seminary, is there a different bias, different emphasis, or did you, how, how does that go? Well, um, I, you know, I'll start by saying I feel like I got a, got a great education at the seminary that I went to, so I, I have no regrets about that. But when I studied church history at a um, uh, sort of non-denominational Protestant seminary, I got a pretty solid grounding in the history of the Protestant Reformation. What I did not get was uh, an equally solid grounding in the early church and the church fathers and uh, the sort of pre-Reformation uh, medieval uh, Catholic scholastics and all of that. And so when I um, went back for my PhD, I knew that I was lacking in those areas, and I knew that I wanted to study the early church. I wanted to see what that was like and what, um, you know, what, what the sort of uh, church that was closer to Jesus and the apostles was all about. And so, um, you know, the, the, what was wrong with my seminary education at a Protestant seminary was that, that it, there were gaps in it. It wasn't that they, uh, that they gave me a, a bias necessarily in what they taught. It's just that the bias was in sort of filtering out, you know, uh, or, or maybe not intentionally, but um, I didn't really get the early church. And so, I was wondering, is the yeah. class easier when you go from A.D. 33 to uh, 1500? <laughs> <laughs> when you do that whole span in the class, well, you know, it's. Uh, I do spend more time on the early church when I teach my students because that's where the uh, church's identity is formed, that's where uh, doctrine is clarified, and um, that's where we have, you know, the ecumenical councils, especially the first three ecumenical councils, which really are still binding for all Christians worldwide. So, as I as I've heard me say before, actually before we got here, was that my favorite Jim Papandrea book is reading the early church fathers. Thank I you. Think, uh, <laughs> I think everybody should read that book. It's a great book. I give it to Catholics and non-Catholics alike. It's a great introduction. 
And then you have a new book coming out that's also on the Church Fathers. Is it? Uh, can you talk a little bit about the differences on that? Or uh? well, I've got a couple things coming out. Uh, one, uh, the book that's coming out uh, in a couple of months is part of a series. Um, the uh, the series is edica- edited by my friend Mike Aquilina, and. Um, each volume in the series covers a segment of the history of the church and so i was given the assignment of writing the volume on the first uh 300 years or so of the church the beginning so uh, my book goes from you know the beginnings of the church up to the time when the church is legalized in the roman empire under the emperor constantine so about the first 300 years and um and uh, I think the title of the book is simply The Early Church. Uh, but that's, uh, that's coming out in a couple of months. And, um, uh, you know, another one that I have out is on, uh, is on the church in Rome specifically in the first century called A Week in the Life of Rome. And so that one is actually a bit of historical fiction with some, uh, with some teaching built in. That's also part of a series meant to... Um, help people understand what it was like for the earliest Christians. And uh, uh, there are other books in the series like A Week in the Life of Corinth or et cetera, but I wrote the one on the church in Rome. And uh, I was really grateful that uh, the publisher gave me that assignment because, uh, you know, as a Catholic, I was able to, um, you know, write it the way I thought it should be written and, uh, and, and really show how the early church is you know, is surprisingly Catholic. I mean, to a lot of people, it comes as a surprise, right? So I'm going to hit you with the question I told you I was going to hit you with now. What do the early church fathers tell us about all the stuff that they're dealing with today in in the Catholic Church? Yeah, well, you know, um, Mike Aquilina and I wrote uh, this book called uh, How Christianity Saved Civilization and Must Do So Again. And the premise of that book is that we... um, we are moving or have already moved into what many people are calling a post-Christian culture. Post-Christian in the sense that um, the church can no longer assume that it has a positive influence on society. Uh, you know, for a long time we had this uh, great relationship with the world where where there was, at least in the West, there was this assumption that, that Western society was built on Christian principles. Well, we're moving away from that. And um, so a post-Christian culture is going to be in many ways anti-Christian because Christians uh, in general and Catholics specifically are going to be um, uh, thought of by the mainstream as uh, backwards or unenlightened or um, you know somehow unevolved. And what you come to find out when you study this is that this this contemporary situation we find ourselves in, this post-Christian culture, it looks a lot like the pre-Christian culture. It looks a lot like the Roman Empire before uh, the church converted the Roman Empire to Judeo-Christian values. Um, you know, and, and so one of the obvious things is that in the Roman Empire, it was perfectly legal to abort um, a baby. And now here we are in the modern uh, situation where we find ourselves in a culture where people think we're weird for, for thinking that abortion is, is wrong, right? And, um, and we find ourselves having to sort of work against the culture to try and protect uh, human life at all stages, right? And, um, and so, the, you know, we, we wrote this book because we realized that 
in the early church, in those first 300 or so years, when the church was illegal and when it was persecuted, um, back then people thought the Christians were weird too. So, you know, the bad news is we're kind of moving again into a situation where we are finding ourselves having to be countercultural, working against the culture. The good news is, though, that it was a countercultural church that converted the world. And so um, I'm not ready to give up on that. But there are, uh, you know, th- there are a lot of parallels between the way the church was uh, back when it was illegal and persecuted and uh, what we're moving into now. You know, one of the manifestations of being in a post-Christian world is that our vocabulary uh, is is unintelligible oftentimes uh, to to the broader culture, to the post-Christian culture. And I'm thinking of, say, we, we talk about, uh, what well, first struck me when we, we talk about the principle of double effect, and a, a modern person would look at you like, what on earth are you talking about? Or the the natural law tradition that 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 we we have have had but it's it kind of dissipating that 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 way of thinking about the human person uh is is a teaching that needs to be reintroduced i'm wondering if um to compare and contrast the the pre-christian with the post-christian wasn't there there was less of a relativistic um, worldview in in the pre-Christian world, wasn't it? At least, uh, say, uh, I'm thinking of Aristotle and a, maybe a, or Plato of a of a natural law tradition of some sense that is really up for grabs today. It, it, would that be a difference? You think, or I, I think uh, in part, and and maybe um, I would say the same thing a different way in the sense that I, I would say that there was less of an individualism. Uh, back then, uh, whereas you know, in the in the time of the early church, there was still, um, and you know, you're alluding to this. I'm I'm agreeing with you. There there was still a sort of sense that there were um, there were absolutes, there were natural laws, there was something there. There were some things that were right, and there were some things that were wrong, even if people disagreed about what those were. Um, but you know what we're finding now is much more of a sort of individualistic relativism where where my own personal experience or my own comfort level becomes my highest authority and um, and and that is something that uh, you know, that takes relativism to a whole new level because you know then you really have this idea that uh, you know sort of no one has the right to critique anyone else about anything you get into Justice Kennedy's famous line about uh, to define the meaning of existence as the very essence of of liberty and freedom and that's who I am to get to decide what things are right (laughs) right right it's cool if you can Uh, get away with it Jim (laughs) Uh, Jim this is uh, Dave Egan a question for you relative to I guess a few years post um, early church. Today in Madagascar, the Pope made a comment that, you know, the way things are going right now is going to be a schism just because of the way people are fighting and the language that they've been using. Can you give us your thoughts on, like, okay, if this is sort of where we're going at, of this, if the church is starting to now be disregarded with normal society, but then there's an eternal fighting within the church as to which direction to go, how does this fit in within history of the early church? 
Well, that's a great question, um, and and I, I wish I had a good answer for that. I mean, you know, the the church uh, has experienced schism before. Some of the schisms have been temporary in the sense that, you know, the groups that split off have folded back into the church uh, after, uh, you know, time. Others have been permanent. Um, and uh, the, the, the temporary schisms, and I'm just, you know, going off the top of my head here, but the temporary schisms seem to be the ones about ecclesiology uh, and differences of opinion over things like uh, who can be reconciled for what. Whereas the permanent schisms uh, seem to be more over, you know, questions of doctrine, orthodoxy, and heresy. And so, um, so I guess I would hold out hope that uh, if there is dissension uh, over some of these issues, that uh, it would not lead to any kind of permanent schism, but, uh, but, but, you know, but, but can be healed over time. So which church father would you be thinking that we should be reading from the early church to help us in this time? I mean, people want to go back to Aquinas, but I want to say, you know, before Aquinas. Sure, sure, yeah, there's over a thousand years of of church history before Aquinas came along. Um, It's, you know, someone just asked me last night in a class I was teaching who my favorite church father is, and I I really can't answer that. Um, Come on, you can tell us. uh, (laughs) Mine is Richard Hudson. (laughs) But to to answer your question, I mean, I think uh, people should read uh, Ignatius of Antioch. That's the because the original he was so Ignatius. cool with yeah. the deacons. <laughs> because he compared the bishop to God the Father and the priests to the mere apostles, uh-huh. but the deacons to Jesus Christ. That's right. That's right. So. Uh, yeah, so that's Ignatius of Antioch, the original Ignatius from the early 2nd century. And um, he uh, has a lot to say about the church. And uh, reading him demonstrates that uh, the, the church's structure uh, was there from the beginning, so you know uh, it, it's it's helpful. Um, doctrinally, you know, I I like Tertullian, I like Ambrose on the sacraments, um, and uh, and and Irenaeus, although his work can be daunting, but uh, yeah, there's there's so many, it's hard to even uh, narrow it down. All right, we we need though to to go back to basics. The definition of the patristic writers is is what. Well, you know, that's a little bit fluid because it kind of depends who you ask. But um, we're, we're the, asking you, yeah, Mr. Right. Okay. So the patristic period is uh, that that word patristic comes from the word for father or the fathers. So it's the era of the church fathers. And as I usually define it, we're talking about the first 500 years or so of the church's life. Um, so up until about the fifth century or so. And the, the church father, fathers are those authors who wrote important documents that have become part of the tradition of our church. And many of them were bishops, some were lay catechists or priests, but uh, most were probably bishops. Very cool. We're with uh, Dr. Jim Papandrea. We're with Dr. Jim Papandrea here on uh, WSFI 88.5 on the FM dial. We're listening to the Deacons Roundtable, and we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few moments.
Did you know that you can listen to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio from anywhere in the world? Our live internet stream is available at WSFIRadio.org. Just click on Listen Live. We also stream on the TuneIn mobile app for your smartphone or tablet. For iPhone and iPad users, visit the App Store, download the TuneIn app, sign up for a free account, and then search for WSFI. Click follow to add us to your profile. For Android users, visit the Google Play Store, download the TuneIn app, sign up for a free account, and then search for WSFI. Click follow to add us to your profile. Need help? Call us at 224-206-8455. That's 224-206-8455. Hello, I'm Bill Wennington from the Church of St. Mary's and the Chicago Bulls. I, I believe Catholic Radio is important for all of us out there listening to help us through days when maybe our faith is being challenged by many different obstacles that are put in our way and It's a chance to reflect and just think and hear stories from other people that maybe are going through the exact same issues that we are going through and how they have struggled and how they are getting through their problems today. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. back on the Deacon's Roundtable. Thank you for staying with us here on WSFI FM 88.5 and uh, WSFI uh, radio.org on your computer. We're here with uh, Dr. Jim Papandrea, man of many Catholic talents. We're talking to him about the early church fathers and some of his other talents. And uh, we have a question here from Richard here. As long as I've got the doctor here, uh, I just wanted to follow us up on, on something. I, I don't know that this is going too far into the weeds, but you made mention that the first three ecumenical councils are embraced by Christianity writ, writ large. I, I'm surprised to hear that. I, not, not that I really have a position on it. I, I thought it would be all those preceding uh, the Protestant Reformation or the split of the East and West. Wh- why these three and how are they uh, acknowledged as being part of our Tradition. Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. So the the um, the first ecumenical council was Nicaea in the year 325. The second one was Constantinople in um, 381. And between those two councils, uh, that gave us our Nicene Creed. And um, for the, for the most part, with the exception of one one or two words, uh, the creed is shared by all Christians or ought to be uh, worldwide. The third ecumenical council was uh, the Council of Ephesus in 431, and uh, that council made some declarations on heresy, uh, affirmed the creed, and also affirmed the uh, devotion to our mother um, uh, Mary as mother of God. Um, and, and again, all Christians worldwide ought to embrace all of that. The Fourth Ecumenical Council, uh, as we know it, was uh, the Council of Chalcedon in the year 451. And although we uh, accept it, 
um, and the most of the Orthodox accept it. There are some Christians who do not and, and who consider themselves non-Chalcedonian. These would be the uh, um, the Oriental Orthodox or the Coptic Church, the uh, Assyrian Church of the East. And so um, although they rejected that council and split from the church at that time and, and have been separated from us since the year 451, uh, you know, 50, 60 years ago, something like that, um, the church is reconciled. Uh, we don't have Eucharistic unity with them, but uh, we have reconciled so that we have dropped the mutual excommunications and declarations of heresy. And so um, so, so that's kind of why I say the first three ecumenical councils, because at the fourth one, we had the first permanent split of, of, of people that we still consider to be Christians, though. Right. Yeah. So, and so that explains going around uh, surfing the web and seeing different churches, uh, you know, the tab on what we believe or who we are. By and large, my experience has been they're going to subscribe to the to the Nicene Creed, and so that's that's where we're they should okay, they should yeah uh, some you know some Protestant denominations sort of pride themselves on on being non creedal, but if they want to call themselves Christian, they really should agree to all the points in the creed okay you know okay all right okay so jim you're you're also well known as a tour guide for the city of rome how did you get started doing uh doing that kind of uh work is that part of your classes or was that a personal interest or how it, it is um my uh my parents took us there when when i was about 14 i fell in love with the city of rome and also assisi i should add um and I've been trying to get back ever since. And uh, back when I had a band, I used to have a band called Remember Rome. Um, and I had uh, I'd gotten the opportunity to study in Rome for a while while I was doing my Ph.D. When I came back from Rome, I formed this band and we played. Um, that band was together for uh, oh, almost 20 years. But uh, I took the group over to Rome and we played over there. And based on that experience, when I got my present job, um, I said to uh, the person who was our dean at the time, who was now our president, I said, you know, um, I could lead a tour to Rome of students. And, uh, and she said, do it. And so I did. And I've been doing it ever since. And so, uh, you know, I, I usually spend two weeks with uh, students and we, we spend most of that time in Rome. We usually do a day trip to Assisi, but uh, we, we, we get to know firsthand the uh, the the earliest Christianity in Rome, and um, you're you taking know. a bunch of Protestant seminarians here. Do they bring black pens and black spray paint? Or what are you <laughs> doing know. in Rome? How do you get them no. excited to go to Rome and yeah. Assisi? Well, you know, I don't have to work too hard to get them excited to go there. Um, we have a very ecumenical spirit where I teach, and um, you know, I try to convince them, and and it's it's not too hard to convince them that. That um, the you know the first thousand years of the church or everything leading up to the Protestant Reformation is is their tradition too. It's their heritage too, and uh, of course, in my teaching, some of my students are kind of surprised to learn just how Catholic it was back then. Um, but uh, you know, we are there uh, as a kind of a an ecumenical group to experience the the roots and trunk of the Christian family tree together and 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 for them to kind of own that as uh, as well and I find it to be a very rewarding experience and I now hear about my former students who have graduated who have gone out to be 
Protestant pastors who, because of their experience with, with me in Rome, have reached out to the Catholic priest in their neighborhood and are starting to work together with the Catholic churches in the neighborhood to feed the hungry and care for the poor. And, and, um, and that, that I find that gratifying. So That's cool. Yeah. What's, uh, what tends to be the students' favorite aspect of Rome, besides the food and everything else? But yeah. From a church perspective, what is their favorite? Thing? Well, they, they, they seem to love the underground stuff. You know, we go into the catacombs, and, uh, and, and of course, you know, any place you go, uh, I will show them where, where the martyrs died, where the martyrs are buried. We visit the martyrs' tombs, and again, I, you know, I, I stress to them, these these martyrs, these saints, these are these are the cloud of witnesses for you too, and uh, some of them find that really moving because they really resonate with the fact that we're standing on holy ground. We visit Peter's tomb under St. Peter's Basilica, and they see Peter's tomb. Um, and then there are certain churches in the city of Rome that have excavations under them where you know maybe you can walk into a a, um, a medieval church. But then you can go underneath it to the, say, 4th century church that was underneath there. And then you can go underneath that, and eventually there's at least one place where you can go down to a level that comes from the 1st century and be in a space where Christians have been worshiping since the 1st century. And so they, uh, they, they find that that connection is really, um, really important. How can, not, how can uh, seeing Peter's tomb not just take your breath away? Is that, is, it, is that just totally cool as it sounds? It, it is, and it does. It takes my breath away every time I'm there. I've been there many times, and it never gets old. Um, in fact, sometimes it's, you know, um, I wonder if some of my students are, you know, noticing me with the handkerchief, you know. But um, for many of them, it, they find it to be a very moving experience. Others are a little more skeptical, and they, they uh, you know, they, they choose to believe for whatever reason that, oh, you know, it's not really Peter's bones or whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, all I can do is bring them there and let them experience it. I was just wondering how they feel towards the Pope, you know. And, and the papacy. Yeah, I mean, whole, most, yeah. Of, most of my students will... will um, consider the Pope a, a a holy man and an important religious leader um, some of them might not agree with some of the positions of the Catholic Church and uh, and so they certainly don't uh, see themselves as under the Pope's authority obviously that sounds like a lot but, of Catholics too yeah well <laughs> I mean you know if I didn't tell you they were Protestants you know you, <laughs> Uh, I hear what you're saying, but uh, but but I'm surprised at how they continually ask me: Are we going to see the Pope? Are we going to an audience? Um, they they want to see the Pope. They want to go to the Vatican. They want to connect with that because even if they don't see themselves as part of the same branch of the Church, they are. Um, you know they they do recognize the connection and maybe it's self-selecting i mean maybe if a person wasn't ready to to be sort of that open they just wouldn't come with me on the tour you know um but uh but i, I we've had you know i think nothing but positive experiences with the, with you know the groups that i brought there i have ex Jim, extensive experience in rome i've i've been there for four days <laughs> <laughs> i should probably spend some more time there yeah Dave, did I hear you? Yes, uh, Jim. One of the questions, something that you brought up actually a couple times now. So you're saying that the some of the experiences of the priests, of, uh, 
in um, the Protestant tradition, they're reaching out to the Catholic priests uh, once they have this Rome experiment. Do the when you're in Rome, have you ever tried to deal with the seminaries in Rome to have um, conversations with that? And when they're actually back at the Northwestern campus, is there any um, gatherings of other seminaries to have the di early dialogue so that those relationships can expand once they uh, get ordained? And that's a great question. Um, I have often connected uh, with different groups in Rome, not so much the seminaries there, but um, we've had connections with, there, believe it or not, there is a Methodist church in Rome, and we connect with the Methodist church in Rome and the Methodist pastor, and the, the pastor of the Methodist church in Rome is the liaison for worldwide Methodism to the Pontifical Council for the Promotion of Christian Unity. So um, the... the uh, person on the other end of that conversation, the, the, we usually meet with a monsignor or a priest who is uh, one of the facilitators of that committee. And so very often we're invited into the offices of the Pontifical Council uh, for Ecumenism, and we get to sit at the table where they actually sit and do their ecumenical dialogue when they're talking Catholics and Protestants. And, and um, you know, it's a, it's a room with like translator booths and everything. It's, it's like being at the UN. Um, and so we have uh, been able to get our students involved in learning about ecumenical dialogue firsthand from the people who are actually doing it, uh, and that's been rewarding. I haven't been able to do much um, follow-up in, in terms of you know once they come back, they're they're pretty busy with their own studies. But um, but I would I would certainly like to, and and uh, I'm going to keep working on that. I wonder from from the from the Catholic side, it it strikes me, and maybe this is ill-founded, but it, it seemed to me there used to be a lot more pizzazz and oomph to uh, an interest in ecumenism. It was something that we talked about a fair amount, say 20, 30 or more years ago, and other other crises come along. And I think I wonder if we're distracted by that, but it doesn't quite seem so vibrant, at least from the Catholic side of things, to engage in the ecumenical conversation. Do, do you see anything in in that direction? Well, I think the, the ecumenical dialogue is always ongoing. And, um, and and just so people know, there is sort of one uh, pontifical council that does ecumenical dialogue, which is dialogue with other uh, Christian bodies or, or, or uh, ecclesial bodies, and also with uh, Jewish believers. And then there's yet another whole council that deals with interfaith dialogue, uh, dialogue with other religions. So these things continually uh, are going on at all, all the time, and there are people uh, in our own archdiocese here in the Chicago archdiocese who are involved in that uh, continually. Um, in terms of the ecumenical dialogue, the dialogue with other Christians, they periodically will release official statements um, saying, here's uh, where we are in agreement on this issue or that issue. And, you know, if you go to the Vatican website, you can look up and read joint uh, statements from Catholics and Protestants on uh, where we're in agreement on uh, devotion to Mary or justification or some of the things that actually were were uh, issues of contention during the Protestant Reformation and afterwards. And so the, these dialogues uh, are are always ongoing. But as you hinted, I mean, in in recent years or even decades, we've we've had 
other things that have taken center stage, especially in the news, and so we don't necessarily in, hear in the popular imagination. Yes, right, you know. right. But there, there are always people who are uh, who are working on this. So if I can ask you another Rome question. Sure. I've always been told that uh, if you go to Rome, you should go with someone who knows all the secret handshakes and all the the little tricks and things. Are you one of those guys with the secret handshakes and knows where to go, or what's your feeling on that? Well, I know some of them, but certainly not all of them, um, because I do uh, my tours from an ecumenical perspective. Um, I don't have all the, uh, you know, uh, keys to the vatican back doors or anything like that i i get Peter has the keys. Uh, yes right that's true <laughs> i get invited into the vatican in certain ways um but then in other ways i have yet to uh to make those connections um but uh as far as the the churches and the history of the churches and seeing the sites in the city of rome um that is an area of my study i've written a book on that called the pilgrim's guide to the eternal city and um and so i do know my way around all the churches and everything so what's your favorite non-traditional place to go in rome non-traditional um well i mean the you know i've got a long list of restaurants that i like <laughs> You know, not St. Peter's or, you know. <laughs> right. Well, I, I guess I would say that some of my favorite places are the lesser-known churches that may not be on um, everyone's radar. And, and so uh, there's a small church near St. Mary Major uh, called uh, Santa Prasede, which has the most beautiful mosaics, I think, in the city of Rome. And uh, the Church of San Clemente is, is the one I was... Uh, hinting at earlier with the the layers underneath it and more and more people are learning about that um but uh if if anyone goes to rome you've got to go to san clemente because it's it's you know just one of the jewels of the city so um there's a lot of really amazing stuff outside of the vatican and then assisi cc i'm saying it wrong aren't i yeah assisi right what's uh What's there besides, I mean, besides Francis's obvious place, what's what's a cool place outside the beaten path there? Well, um, Assisi is really all about Francis and Claire. Um, the, the Church of San Francesco, St. Francis's Church, has his tomb, which is amazing. And if you go to Assisi, you have to visit the tomb of Francis and pray at his tomb. Um, the Church of Santa Chiara, or St. Claire's Church, has in a side chapel, it has in it the crucifix um, that that Francis was praying before when he heard the voice of God speaking, you know, go and repair my church. So that uh, that's that crucifix is uh, worth seeing as well. And a lot of people miss that because they don't know where it is. Is it behind a protective glass or what is it? Uh... No, not really. It's in a side chapel, but it's it's. I mean, it's kind of you know, hang. It's suspended, you know, like you'd expect. That's got to be cool. Yeah. How far is how far is Assisi from Rome? Um, it's northwest by train, maybe a couple of hours, I guess. Yeah. So how or northeast. Days, yeah. How many days do you typically spend out there? In Assisi or just altogether? The whole trip. Uh, two weeks usually. Yeah, yeah. So Assisi is just a is a, just a day trip. Unfortunately, I would love to spend more time there, but uh, but two weeks is is enough for Rome, and you you're still just scratching the surface. Very cool. Yeah. We're here at uh, Jim Papandrea here on WSFI, the Deacons Roundtable, FM 88.5. Please stay with us because coming up uh, shortly will be Jim and his guitar.
Portillo from the Holy Family Catholic Bookstore wishing the fullness of God's blessings upon all those who will soon be receiving a sacrament for the first time. If you have a child, grandchild, or godchild being baptized, receiving their first Holy Communion, or being confirmed, remember that Holy Family has the area's largest selection of gifts, accessories, and supplies to make their special day more memorable. The Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. More information, including a virtual tour, is available on Facebook. Want an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MAT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. Deacon's Roundtable at WSFI 88.5, WSFIRadio.org. And we're going to try something new here in the studios of Libertyville. We have Jim Papandrea with his guitar. And uh, it sounds like he's gone to Rome, like the Beatles went to Germany. So he's going to uh, tell us a little bit about his music ministry. And uh, you have a degree in music, right? So th- which came first, the, the, the music ministry or the classroom? Oh, um, that's a good question. I, 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 when I went to college, I did a uh, bachelor's degree in music theory and composition, so I was always interested in writing music. Um, and I did uh, do some uh, music ministry and some youth ministry, and you know, when you do youth ministry, you got to strum a guitar. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't remember a time when I didn't want to write songs and, and play music. So it's always been part of what I've done, and uh, even after switching more toward writing books and teaching, I still get asked from time to time to sing some of my songs um, when I when I do a speaking thing. So I was actually at a church uh, in Indiana just the other day, uh, and I was asked to give a talk and and sing, and so I kind of inter- interspersed the singing and the talking, and you know that's that's what I do, I guess. So go for it. What do you, what do you yeah. got? Well, I didn't yeah, get a yeah. chance to tune. I don't know if it's in tune. <laughs> it's not. And for the studio audience, he already rejected my request for Roxanne. So, <laughs> so how many albums you got? Uh, recorded. I I want to say. Three with the band Remember Rome, and then uh, since then I have done one that's just under my name uh, called Still Quiet Voice. And so, um, what's your favorite one from that? Uh, well, let's see. I'll do something that uh, that I can strum so that you, the guitar gets picked up on the microphone. And see how that works. And I asked you before, which is harder to write, a book or a song? Yeah, well, it, it's harder to write a really good song. It's harder harder to write a hit song, which I obviously haven't done yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
still not quite in tune. That's Mike, feel free to sing along. <laughs> So many gods, so little time Every shiny thing catches my eye So many new things they want me to buy That I forget to get down on my knees and sigh Be my strength, I am weak my pride make me meek your word is the truth that I seek be my strength I am weak be my pride make me meek I believe help my unbelief So many lies, so little truth Lord, the world is upside down compared to you It's easier to believe I've got nothing to do Than to get up on my feet And give the hungry food Be my strength, I am weak my pride make me meek your word is the truth that I seek be my strength I am weak be my pride make me meek I believe help my unbelief I surrender to you I admit Lord that there's nothing I can do without you be my strength I am weak be my pride make me meek your word the truth that I seek be my strength I am weak be my pride make me meek I believe Lord help me in my unbelief Jim Poppendray here, everybody. That's all good. Thank you. Thank you. Angela, can we have a new theme song now? Can we use that? If we have Jim's permission, can we use that? Yeah, you can use my music. Absolutely. We don't need permission. Absolutely. (laughs) Just take it. (laughs) It's beautiful. Thanks. Beautiful, beautiful. And it it strikes me, um, 
it's it's a practice to be encouraged for every prayerful person to I mean that was a prayer yeah. and you're publicly disclosing your prayer to the rest of us that's true it's a little autobiographical isn't it, and it well <laughs> but it's 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 a vulnerability but it also i'm thinking of uh of anybody who's who wants to a relationship with jesus is that you know and until you put words to it um it can remain very abstract um so i want to encourage poetry and music and for the deacons listening it's it's like it's part of the homiletic process too to mm. to bring not to shine a light on yourself but to to publicly share your your heart with mm. with people listening to you yeah so it's great do you have a Thanks. song about ignatius of antioch by any chance I don't. You should. <laughs> I should. I, I should write that one. That part about <laughs> that I quoted before. That's right. Who else That's writes right. songs about the early church fathers? It could be a real niche for you. I don't know. I, yeah, Mike Aquilina writes a few songs, too. He, he and I should get together and uh, do some songwriting, I think. No, no. He's been hanging on you too long. It's time, <laughs> time to... <laughs> yeah, you know, I should stop dropping his name. I You know, uh, I was talking to Scott Hahn the other day, and, and Scott said, Jim, don't be a name dropper. Anyone else? <laughs> Because, <laughs> you, know, you know, Deacon Richard here was talking to Cardinal Blaise Supic. The other day. <laughs> <laughs> so very cool. You got another one for us? Uh, I suppose. <laughs> this is all sort of off the cuff, but That's okay. uh, so let's are we. see. Um, it's really excellent if deacons can sing the way he does. I don't know any deacons who can sing. Do you? <laughs> I can tell you one that doesn't. <laughs> I can tell you four that don't. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> Well, let's see here. I don't know. Uh, trying to find something that will sound good. Maybe on we the, can have him teach the Exalted to us sometime. On the radio. <laughs> the last one sounded great. Oh, thanks. In fact, uh, Angela was filming it for the uh, WSFI video channel that she's planning. Yeah. All right, let's see if I can What's uh, this one called? make this one happen. This is called Lost and Found. Very cool. my head I lift my hands I am a desert and my sins are like sand I need to feel your presence when I pray but I can't always find the words to say I am lost and found knees on the ground when there's no one around and I can't hear a sound coming like the wings of a dove your Holy Spirit speaks your words of love I lift my head reach out my hand just like someone did for me can I help you stand? It's the Jesus in you I want to see. And it's Jesus to you I want to be. When you're lost and found, 
knees on the ground when there's no one around and you can't hear a sound coming like the wings of a dove the holy spirit speaks his words of love i put out my hands and bow my head you give me strength when I receive you in the bread And I am lost and found Knees on the ground when push comes to shove Your grace falls from above Coming like the wings of a dove Your Holy Spirit speaks your words of love when I'm lost, I can be found With my knees on the ground When I'm lost, I can be found With my knees on the ground When I'm lost, I can be found With my knees on the ground When I'm lost, I can be found With my knees on the ground Jim Papandrea here in the studio. What's the name of the album? Uh, it's called Still Quiet Voice, and uh, stillquietvoice.com will get you there. That's very cool. You know, in our, in our cool. culture, we have young people that just live with iPods in their ears, mm -hmm. and, you know, we need a church that's going to reach them, too, and it's through these songs, and, and, and we, we, shy about, we shy away from that where our Protestant brothers and sisters embrace it. And, and, and do you feel, like, like I do, that to reach some of these younger people, you need to incorporate some of these things in these... Oh, I think so, and and uh, like I said, I used to do uh, a lot more youth ministry. Um, I don't know whether my songs will reach young people because I don't know whether I'm doing the kinds of music they like. But there's a lot of good Catholic music out there. Problem is, uh, people don't know about it. Um, I you know tend to listen to sort of the you know John Michael Talbot kind of stuff, um, which is great. Uh, you know whether that's what's going to reach the youth, I, I'm not sure, but. Um, but I, I definitely think you're right. We need more people, more Catholics out there writing music and, um, and, and, and singing and, and reaching uh, the culture that way. It's a joy. It's a joy to hear you sing, and it's a joy to hear, hear the music. So thank you for doing that. No. When do you so write this? This is Dave Egan. One of the things I oh. make a comment with that, um, currently I'm living in what is considered the most Christian area of the country. Now it's um, Baptist Bible Belt. Bobby? The south side of Chicago? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> and so but I can say that um, people, if there's like gatherings with music, um, it's not just the young people, but it's everybody within the community would be going to that. And it's, yeah. just, it's a central part of their life that... You know, the church is here for them. I mean, granted, the Catholic population is quite small. It's like 2% or so. But, I mean, it, it's sort of interesting the differences when you go to the store and someone would say, like, have a blessed day. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's just a very common part of people's lives here that I don't, I did not see that up north. Hmm. So, so what do we need? Do we need a WSFI young Catholic uh, concert? Uh, led by Jim and some other people at St. Raphael the Archangel Church in Old Mill Creek. Is that what we're saying here? <laughs> Count me in. <laughs> Look at Angela. <laughs> hey, why not? 
Yeah. But we did it. We, we're not reaching out to our young people effectively. That you know, all the polls show that, and we need to. You speak the language that that they speak, and uh, uh, we 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 need that missionary spirit, not to just other cultures, but to ourselves. We need to regain that that post-Christian culture. We need to go back and evangelize. And I, I think with the beauty of, of your music, uh, certainly I want to hear the Church Fathers, but when you record that album on the Church Fathers, I'm going to play it. <laughs> it makes me think of uh, Bishop Barron's famous uh, the, the beautiful will lead you to the good which will lead mm. you to the true. And that's you know connecting people's faith with with the beautiful in, in your music uh you know i, I want to know why that's why that's beautiful or why that touches a, a chord right. no pun intended yeah <laughs> uh it, it, you know in my heart and i want i want more of that so i i think definitely there's a there's a place for it and maybe we find it uh awkward or out of step with our with with a, with a catholic liturgy in a sense that we we have the mass and um there's less room there for an original creation of of music um and so we've you know we deprive ourselves of that but certainly in any kind of prayer service or you know meeting space Mm -hmm. sure why not Why, why why do we miss that so i think it could even go within a homily with that too i remember there was one life teen homily that i gave and um part of the homily was Joan Osborne's song uh, One of Us. Yeah. And and it just absolutely, I mean, the homily led up to the song, but it just, I remember the young people just swaying to the music. I mean, literally they were standing in the pews swaying to the music after the homily. I remember seeing uh, Bishop Paprocki do a confirmation when he was still up here in Chicago. And he he, he sang... uh, He's saying something from Lincoln Park, whoever they are. Oh, wow. But uh, he's, oh. he's saying something <laughs> for them, and the kids were uh, gobsmacked that, uh, that he did that. <laughs> my, wow. my pastor sings. Oh, he's okay, got during, a great voice. He's got dur- a beautiful during voice. During his homilies. And, and, and it just creates such an impact. So we're coming up on the end here. If people want to get a hold of Jim Papandrea, invite Jim as a speaker or a singer or get his books, where do they go? Or well, go on a tour, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Um, yes. Yeah, my website is jimpapandrea.com. And if you don't know how to spell that, go to uh, drjimsbooks.com. And that's my Amazon author page. So that's easier, drjimsbooks.com. And uh, that'll get you where you need to go. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you again for being with us, Jim. We My pleasure. You. Yeah, it's a blessing. Thanks. Thank you. Perfect. Beautiful. Mike, you want to pray us out? Oh, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, David. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for, for Dr. Jim Papandrea, but more especially for his music. Okay, It has touched our hearts, and I hope it has touched the hearts of the listeners. And through that, may the Holy Spirit be upon us all. Amen. 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 Amen.